Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot. Hi, I'm Drew. And I'm Derek. And we're on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brain better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Now, join us as we go into the circus tent for The Greatest Showman. Okay, sorry, I had to do that to start off. <laughs> Welcome to Wonder Tour. Um, we are excited to jump into The Greatest Showman today, and this is a really cool, um, interesting story, uh, very much an underdog story. Um, Drew, what's your favorite part about this story? Yeah, I mean, when you think about when I think about The Greatest Showman, I like how it is. Now, the movie is a little bit limited, I was thinking as I watched it again, in how it everything is so revolving around P.T., um, around Phineas Barnum, right? Everything revolves around him. It fails to get outside of that. But I just love how all of the interactions with all of the characters around him, like, they're all fleshed out, right? Each of these characters has, like, an actual personality and has, so, like, you can see, like, their reasoning for doing things, right? And I feel like that would have been something that would have been easy to get caught into is just focusing this too much on PT and not on the other characters. And while, again, it's only, like, an hour and 45-minute movie, I just love how each of the characters kind of interacts and, and plays a role here and has an influence on PT. Um, what You know, whether it's Zac Efron, his character Philip or Zendaya with her, <clears throat> uh, I think she's her name's Anne something, um, or, or, you know, uh, Tom Thumb, uh, all, all the members really have a role to play in the story. And I really appreciate that. I also obviously just love the ability that PT has to just like <laughs> he sees something and he goes after it. Right. We all kind of wish that we had that ability and that we wish that we had that entrepreneurial spirit that he has. Yeah, he, he just takes what's around him to start off with. Right. So I think that's that's pretty neat. That's a that's a good skill is to be able to use the things around you um, to make vision. And as we'll as we talk through the story, we'll we'll experience that, um, you know, as we just kind of go through uh, it piece by piece. And we'll see those moments where, you know, he takes advantage of the opportunities. And I think that's what good leaders do is they take advantage of those opportunities to kind of show the vision um so all right well why don't we start off we've got humble beginnings right yeah uh, <laughs> i think it's really neat how like the, the the entire movie starts off with him really envisioning himself uh doing the whole circus thing now i would say uh and you can correct me where i'm wrong here but when you have dreams when you have visions of your future things aren't exactly all figured out. So 
while we may be seeing a circus, a fully functioning circus with all the details, I think you really got to remember like when you have dreams, I think they're more symbolic. And so you have, it's very abstracted and there's not a lot of details actually. You may have one focal point to your dream, right? That you fixate on. And then as you go along your life, the details start to fill in if you stick to it, right? And in this case, we have a story here where he stuck to the dream. Um, so anyway, all right, start so us off after that. Right. I like I, I like that, right? You start out with something really abstract. And of course, this is a movie, so you can't abstract has very little place in in cinema um, because you, you really have to like lay it out there for the audience. But you're right. That is where a dream starts out. It starts out abstract. And I like that because that is really a, a great starting point for us today. I was just talking to my dad this week and he was saying he was explaining how uh, for him um, in his in his 60s, he's going through these um, still understanding his dreams and stuff like that. And still how he called it a puzzle. Right. He said, like, yeah, there's parts in your life of your life where you're putting the edges of the puzzle together and you're putting bits and pieces of the puzzle. And you're like, oh, these colors go with these colors. And but he's like, it, it still takes a lifetime. And and it, it's more abstract than it is concrete, um, what your dreams are, what your purpose is and stuff like that. So I think I thought that was a really good analogy for how we can kind of look at our purpose and our our dreams. Right. It's, it starts out abstract and maybe you got some edges of the puzzle that you can put in and stuff and you can start to frame it up. But and, and that's really all you're getting as you go forward. So you have to be OK with moving forward with just some some framing up and putting some colored pieces together. You're like, I have this driver in my life and I have this passion. So I'll put these things together over here and later I'll figure out how the puzzle pieces connect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they reorient themselves. Right. And I think that's the interesting thing is that, you know, if you're really working hard at it, um, you may be surprised how those puzzle pieces reorient themselves in sometimes in ways that you never even thought were possible. And uh, that, and, you know, and in that everything has a purpose, you know, uh, on your journey. Right. And um so, yeah, so he goes back, you know, uh, so we jump from the dream into him standing at a storefront window, right? And he's looking at this suit. And I think that is one concrete thing, the first concrete thing that really, um, and, and he's he's sized himself just right on the glass. I thought that was so slick that they did that. Um, this is a cinematography thing, but I really liked it, how he was overlaid right on top of that, right? And he fit that suit and he's like, Yes, that's me. And um, so he he meets his he meets his wife Charity right uh, through some different ways. We don't we're not really told exactly how that all happens. Uh, that first encounter uh, that sorry the encounter with her in the beginning may have been looked at as a first encounter, but if you look at when they met on the beach, you can tell that they knew each other longer than that, right? Um, so I think that's uh, that was an interesting thing, and I like how sometimes you have to gloss over a relationship. In a way, it's a little bit of movie magic. You know how deep it is, though, when someone starts talking to someone else. I'm going off to boarding school or finishing school, I should say. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Is there anything else that struck you about that that first uh, first part there, Drew? So when I think it, it it's that PT keeps his eyes focused throughout this time, right? He Things change, the situation, you know, the situation fluctuates, but he keeps his eyes focused. 
And that's what's going to not necessarily, you know, you could say at a very high level, just gets him out of poverty, right? Because he's like a tailor's, you know, kid and you can you can see his clothes are tattered and stuff like that, even kind of, even though he's a tailor's kid, right? But he's just, uh, he keeps his eye on on the, on the, the thing that he's most focused on, right? Which is charity at this point in his life, right? He's like, how do I, how can I, you know, marry this girl? And that's his, that's the first dream that he has. And that's the first thing that he executes on. And he does eventually uh, succeed in marrying charity. Um, you know, he has a lot of, for PT's bad attributes, he has a lot of great attributes as well. And she falls for him and, and they fall for each other right there. Um, he ends up succeeding in, well, really, I don't know. I don't know if you can call it succeeding. He kind of just like tells her father that he, he does not really much of an ask as much as it is like a tell that he like wants to marry charity and uh, he takes that and and runs with it and he does marry charity and that creates this we've talked about the chip on the shoulder the axe to grind right this creates that chip on the shoulder the axe to grind of now you know he's taken charity out of her like upper class lifestyle where everything's cushy and he's kind of brought her down to his level and now he wants to he wants to lift himself back up all of them back up to be in that higher stratosphere essentially so that he can uh kind of prove himself to her parents yeah and he looked at that as something that he has to overcome right um so he that we we then see him working in kind of an accountant's role uh doing uh doing some books bookkeeping and he's he's starting though to come up with the next ideation and this is a time in I would say every entrepreneur or entrepreneur's life where uh, things start to get a little stable and in some ways maybe a little too stable because you're like ooh what's next what's next what's next what's next and you start asking yourself that and the ideas start flowing right and <clears throat> so he's talking to his boss about a flying machine and all this stuff. Um, was a flying machine, right? If I do remember right. Um, and, you know, he's trying to wow him with that and, and say, hey, you know, if you use that, right, this would revolutionize your company. So he's looking for ways to affect the world around him. But then I think in the most blessed, lucky way, right, he has to quit because, or actually he gets fired, he gets laid off, right? Um, everybody does um, because they, uh, you know, all their, their ships sunk in the South China Sea. So um, it was a big part of the company's capital and it's gone. And so now he has to go back and kind of regroup. And then you kind of get uh, the understanding, though, that this is this has been happening like he keeps losing jobs. So he's he's like trying really hard. Who knows what happened to those other jobs? But he's out of another one now. Yeah, well, we talked about that in previous episodes, but it's like you, he's the eccentric person, right? He's he's that special type of person that like in a lot of workplaces or a lot of circles, people are raising eyebrows about because they're like, I don't know, like there's something different about that person than everybody else. Um, and, and we've talked about this before, but those type of people are exactly the type of people that you need to innovate. Um, the thing is, it's you always have to figure out, you know, how are you going to build around that person? Because that person is unique and you need to build around them. Right. Other Some people have the ability to just plug into teams and just produce. Right. It doesn't matter who it is, where you know who they're with, where it's at. They're just good at plugging in and producing. Those people are like a lot of those people end up being 
consultants, right? Because those people just kind of like plug and play for a specific period of time. Then they go, you know, they come and go. But when you find somebody like PT that has these this visions of grandeur, essentially, you got to figure out how how to work with that. And, and sometimes it just doesn't work. And I think that we don't see that, like you said, but it's alluded to in his story is that he's failed multiple times before in these corporate jobs, essentially. So that my encouragement there is just like if you haven't found you, you know a place that works for you yet, just keep going because you will find it. Um, especially if you see yourself as more of that PT kind of eccentric type. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, as I, as you were talking there, good points. Um, I was thinking about uh, the decision of acclimation. So I think acclimation is a decision. And then you decide also to be malleable. So you got to have those two things kind of uh, going for you. When you're in a situation where you feel like you're out of place, you've got to accept some of the norms and figure out how the system works, right? And although he really wasn't trying at that point to do that. So this particular story is probably not gonna tell you a whole lot about that lesson, right? <laughs> uh, but, yeah. you know, in, in your normal life, I mean, you know, there's a lot that you want to do probably for the place that you that you are employed at, right? And that you, um, that you want to acclimate and you want to be malleable so that you can uh, you can really make the most out of your opportunities. Right. Because every time you're going to learn a lesson out of something. So um, but I was just taken aback, you know, when I when I I remember the uh, and it's so simple. Right. But I, I love the rooftop scene where, you know, uh, it's the little girl's birthday. And, you know, in some respects, you probably pretty much pretty sure. Right. That he remembered the birthday, but he didn't really have any money to buy her a birthday present. Um, and he took what he had in that moment and he came up with a new idea, a new combination of things. And he was able to make this like spinning constellation on the rooftop. And man, back then, I guess, you know, people who were poor ended up on, you know, drying their laundry on the rooftop. And now we pay millions of dollars for it. I find that ironic and interesting. <laughs> but anyway, um, but I just think it's so cool how he wowed her and it was such a foreshadowing, you know, uh, thinking ahead. So I think that was kind of interesting and neat. Yeah. Uh, I really how you can, I mean, you can just see this character of PT being fleshed out, right? He's, he, he's making up this story as he goes along and it's, it's compelling. He's, he's the type of guy who, who can sell something and, and can do it, you know, if it's done right, not for himself, but for other people. And then he falls flat, though, a little bit when he puts out his first idea and he goes and and gets really, uh, you know, really gutsy and he gets all that money. Um, but his museum is so static. You know, um, he had a vision for people to come in and see things they've never seen before. Um, however, it needed a pivot, a very critical pivot. And so he consults a couple of his advisors. Well, actually, he didn't consult them. They just told him, right? <laughs> and I think that's interesting is sometimes people are going to come to you and say, hey, look, you know, da, 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 da. and, you know, uh, listening to his daughters was the smartest move ever. They're like, kind of seems a little dead in there, you know, yeah. um, an astute observation. You know, sometimes you need an innocence, right, to the situation in order to kind of figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. That's... <laughs> You do need a little bit of innocence to figure it out. You also just need to to pose it to more people. And like that's one thing we didn't see him do, right, is to to prototype his idea with people before he actually went and just did it. He's 
what now we can talk about one of these characteristics that that he has um as a human not necessarily just as a leader but he has a lot of guts right pt does he constantly shows those guts he has guts when he goes to to uh charity's dad and asked her to marry him even though that's totally taboo for the time right he has guts when he goes in and he ga- gambles with the bank on a some you know he he backs his load off something that's worth nothing basically and lies to them he has guts every time he goes and does uh these type of things and he definitely has guts when he just goes ahead with this museum thing without actually you know prototyping it and testing it and seeing if there's value there so that's kind of like the seesaw uh ride that you go on if you go by guts all the time and i think that we'll what we'll hopefully end at here is when when could when is it good to go on guts and when is it not right what's the balancing act that you want to play there yeah, and then he had a, a a moment where he happened upon somebody who was a bit strange, a bit odd, and it started to uh, – it really was a thread, you know, I think a, a thread that led him, you know, all kinds of places. But really, he started to put together this thread. He was very aware uh, once he had that first encounter, and he started to realize that there were a lot of people that were um, kind of on the outside, right, the outsiders – and they were different um and you know in some respects like him because you know he he's unique as well just in the way he thought um maybe on the outside he tried to be more uh well, he's also an outsider right? he's also an outsider yeah. because he's comes from lower class right so i'm not not comparing like necessarily exactly all of the people that join him in the circus with pt but right they <laughs> that he they they all relate in some way right because they all feel like they're on the outside looking in that's what makes them this circus family that he's creating yeah yeah and you know it starts to bring them together right and he um turns them into acts now it, it it isn't easy at first right so one of the things that he uses uh is he paints the picture for each of them he paints the vision for each collaborator he comes in contact to right uh, Tom Thumb, for example, and he says, look, you know, you may have been painted as, you know, and I'm far- paraphrasing, but, you know, you, you've been portrayed as being weak in the past and small. Well, you're going to be a general. People are going to be saluting you. Um, and, you know, you're going to have the right attire for this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he painted that picture for him and the dude bought in right away, you know, and, you know, he did it again and again, you know, he, he meets Letty, right? And she's got this this beard and she's doing the laundry and she's like, dude, just get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. Right. And, you know, he says, you know, and he, what he does, he goes in there and has that, that, that the massive in, inversion of everything she's ever heard. And he's like, you're beautiful, you know? And, and I think that was really, really cool, really interesting, uh, to way to go about. It. And I think, um, that's, that's a very good, leadership characteristic is when you can you can go in and you can see the characteristics in somebody you can see their gifts and you go and you emphasize the one that that other people really don't emphasize that much and you're able to pull it out and say did you realize what you could use this for you know and you make a very compelling argument and a very compelling um pitch you know because really that's what he's doing he's going through and really pitching all these people But then, you know, they get to where they're just about ready to start the circus. And he's like, you know what? I need a little bit more. Um, Tell me, tell me, Drew, about how how he's magnifying the vision, you know, in these situations. 
Yeah, I just want to go back a little bit to what you were talking about there, where he's pulling in all these different people and he's selling them on this story, on this narrative of what could be. And I think it's brilliant how he does it. Right. So uh, obviously I, I do want to put not necessarily put to the side out of bounds, but just like say when we when we're on a wonder tour, we're like the wonder is the first word in the tour. So a lot of times we're going to focus on the good things that leaders do, right? We're going to focus on those because we believe that that is the best way for us to grow is to focus on the good and just to kind of put a box around the bad and say like, this is not good. You know, we don't appreciate this, right? We There's a, a lot of problematic issues with, with a circus potentially, right? <laughs> treatment of animals, treatment of humans, stuff like that. All right, that is something that like the, the writer and director chose to frame it up a certain way and we within wonder tour are again we don't want to look past any abuses or anything like that i think what we want to do though is look to the positive because the positive is a stronger motivator than the negative and sure on the wonder tour there's going to be times when we have to talk about the gray area and and, and why it's gray and stuff because we want to become better leaders and we're not on a journey to just see a you know sunshine and rainbows all the time right we're on a wonder tour to become better leaders um, and, and that's going to require that we're going to have to sometimes go into that like we did at, in Interstellar with Dr. Mann and stuff like that. But I really so so all of that said, I feel like at some point in this episode, there had to be a frame up on that, that like, yeah, there's problematic issues with with some of the stuff that PT does. And we, we get that there there is with every leader. These leaders are humans. Um, all of us have problems. All of us have done things that we regret. And we're just trying to do better, hopefully, going forward, uh, working together on this wonder tour. But the, the, the motivating factors, the way that he gets everybody in, right, he speaks truth into their lives. And he speaks truth that other people are either, you know, aren't speaking or afraid to speak. And this is a really, really tough one. It's like it almost seems like this is more of a gift than it is like an ability, because I've met people that are like this that can just like hit you with that one phrase and it like turns out, you know, and it's usually an inverting phrase, right? Like you said, Derek, where it takes what your view of the world is and it flips it upside down. And in that moment, if they do it successfully, boom, like everything is new to you. So I think it's almost more of a gift. But I, I so maybe it's I don't, I don't know if there's like a leadership concept to be learned from this, but or, or if that's something that we can learn and be get better at over time. But if you're the type of person that can pick that out and do that, then you got to grow that gift because that gift is awesome. Right. Because th that that can change somebody's entire life. Your that moment spent with somebody where it can either ruin somebody or it can it, it can make their whole life better. Right. I've heard stories about people who who in school. Right. They might have one bad experience with a teacher and that teacher that that bad experience with that teacher led them to believe that they were no good at school. It led them to believe that they they, they weren't you know gifted in academics. And so their whole rest of their life, they might have gone through thinking that they weren't because they had one bad experience, right? Until maybe they had one positive experience where somebody came and spoke more truth, like real truth into their life and said, like, no, you're actually smart. And then if they took it and internalized it, it flipped it. And that's what happens here is like we we see that as these these members join this family, that all of them are having their their previous perspectives inverted. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, that's good. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's about leaving your past in the past um, at some respects, but also, um, as we've talked about in other episodes, is about integrating, you know, it into uh, what you got going on in the future, right? And um, 
that's what they did. You know, they, they really did integrate that together. And how do you integrate though? You have to accept it, right? You have to accept it and then you have to bond with it. Right. Um, and if you can do that, then, you know, really what you've done is in a way you've doubled down, you've doubled down on your mistake in the past. And you're saying, you know what, I'm going to flip the, you know, that's where you, it, that's where it does. It, the inversion happens and it becomes this huge asset to you. Right. Um, I love just watching Tom Thumb come across and just be like, boom, here I am, baby, you know, and, and his, you know what it is? It's not the image of Tom Thumb. It's the fact that the guy's voice is like, hey, hey there, you know? Um, so <laughs> I really enjoy that about him. And he is, you know, he's unabashedly, you know, just doing his thing, you it's know, this is an example. Right? Yeah. And he, and he brings people to their authentic selves, but it, so this is where, you know, some of the exaggerations, you know, hey, you're 10 feet tall, you're 20, whatever, you know, there are things that really don't violate the what the person brings to the table. They're more about visuals uh, and that kind of thing. Right. The that's that's where the quote unquote, the sideshow nature of uh, what he does comes out, et cetera, which, you know, like you said, not really the focus here, um, but it's a little bit of a. Um, I don't know. It's like salt and pepper. You know, you throw it on your meal, whatever. Right. It, it <laughs> makes it it makes it taste a little better. Um, and that it just all it does is kind of generate the buzz. And so he does that for a while. Right. Um, yeah. And, and he gets, then, starts to see yeah. some good success there. Right. But he, he's not satisfied with that success that he's seeing just with the circus building that they've got. He wants more. And at this point, this is where he meets up with Zac Efron's character, Philip Carlyle, in order to try to kind of have some upward mobility here into the upper class. Right. So he he has the issue right now with the circus that it's seen as a because that's like, nagging. Well, that's nagging at him, isn't it? You know, yeah. the upper class that. Yeah, that's really that's eating on him. And that's sitting in the back of his mind, just, you know, taking him, you know, taking him to lunch, basically like he's. He's really grinding on that thought. Like, I'm not I'm not still not good enough for these people. Anyway, keep going. Indeed. Indeed. So he he, he takes so he's kind of got like the upward momentum going on the from the groundswell from the from the grassroots. Um, but he, he he hasn't sold it to high society here. And he just feels like he's a failure because he hasn't sold it to high society, you know, because that's, of course, where his wife comes from. That's where he's trying to prove himself to. So he's like, until they think that, they, that I've made it, I haven't made it. So that's where he he works with uh, with Carlisle and they end up getting to meet Queen Victoria and they take out the whole like circus uh, team out there and they meet Queen Victoria to bring some kind of validation to them. They're like, hey, if we meet Queen Victoria, then we can, you know, everybody else will kind of trickle down from there. So I like this as a you know, this isn't what the episode's about, but the sandwich strategy. Right. So I've heard a long time ago at a conference about a sandwich strategy. And the idea of the sandwich strategy is just top down, bottom up, meet at the middle. Right. So a lot of change is handled in a organization. And again, when I say organization very loosely, whether it's a family or a, um, with, or, a, you know, friends or a work organization, a lot of change is handled either top down or bottom up, but not very much of it is successfully handled as a sandwich where you actually have threads that are running uh, top down where we're pushing the change, threads that are running bottom up that are pulling the change up. 
and together it kind of meets in the middle and you end up with like the the most conservative people are generally in the middle right because they have the most to gain in the future because they they want to go up you know they still have room to go up whereas the people at the top are already at the top and that's not changing for them right <laughs> uh, most likely and then the people at the bottom are willing to take risks as well so you kind of meet at the middle and 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 you you kind of close in around the skeptics and that's what he's trying to do here. And that is actually what he succeeds in doing. He has a very successful sandwich strategy here. And he does that by taking the famed European opera singer, Jenny Lind, um, and bringing her to America where he creates what, you know, he believes is more of like an upper class type act. Yeah. I mean, and I want to pause there for a second because I think uh, what you're talking about with the sandwich strategy is worth uh, pausing and wondering about for a second here. Um, I I want, you know, I want us to consider um, how long the time frames were here when he went to see the queen, when he went to, you know, and then someone took a picture with a, you know, gunpowder camera, you know, whatever, and flash and all that stuff. And then those pictures, they have to make their way across. I mean, like everything's happening actually a lot slower. Um, and and what that does to you, I think, really amps you up. And I think this is why he reaches out to Jenny when he's over there, because he's like, I'm not going to get this chance again. And it's not like I'm taking another flight back to England. He didn't take a flight. He took a ship, right? And you're on that ship for months to get there, right? And these long time frames. Uh, really make you think and stew about the things that you want to get done. Uh, imagine, you know, uh, up to this point, right, he has literally, I mean, he's focused like a laser beam on every one of his goals. He gets up every day and thinks about the queen on the way to see the queen, right? And so he nails that, and so does Tom Thumb. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's just awesome with that, um, you know, with his little mouth and off or whatever, but she loves it, Right. And, but I just, I, I, you know, I want us to soak on that a little bit the rest of the episode to think about how slow things happened and how these things came to a boil, right? And this just wasn't like a switch that gets flipped. It may be the next scene in the movie, but in real life, in reality, these things were going, now today things obviously move much faster. You can ruin your reputation in, you know, a nanosecond, well, maybe not a nanosecond, but a, you know, a very quick amount of time, right? Um, because news travels fast. And so you see more of a whipsawing today, you know, if someone's going through something versus a slow blow that you used to see, because you'd see, I saw one picture or a drawing, right? And another picture or a drawing, you know, think about people, you know, basically the way they used to transmit ideas to each other, right? Um, so anyway, I, I want to, I want you to consider, right, how, how the division has to be really solid back then because you're not going to get a chance to know how it's going for a while as things mature and grow, right? Um, he's playing the long game. So anyway, back to Jenny yeah. Lynn. <laughs> you're good. So Jenny Lynn comes over and uh, he convinces her to, again, he's selling a vision um, and he's selling this vision for her being, you know, even bigger, Right. And for them being even bigger, for for Barnum receiving, you know, more recognition. And it's at this point where his hubris starts to take over a little bit. Um, well, really, this is this is the first indicators that we're seeing of it. And <clears throat> so she comes over and she has this performance of Never Enough, 
which is I, I love that scene. It's so good in the movie. It really does feel authentic. I know that like the actress and the singer are different <laughs> and stuff, but it, it's so good. I love that. It, it really sells you, right? They did such a good job with that. Uh, Michael Gracie, the director, right? He, he nails that scene where you're just like, whoa, like there's something special about this performance. And that's what Barnum's after. And so the, the whole crowd's after it. And afterwards, they're in a they're in a stir about it. Um, and this brings us into our moment here where there's kind of like this party afterwards. We haven't seen Charity's parents in a while. And there's they're coming back together now at this party. And finally, Charity's dad comes over to PT and he like begrudgingly gives him, uh, you know, oh, well, you've done OK for yourself, basically. Um, and after that, you know, PT takes the moment and he he decides to rub it right in his face. And he, he talked to me about what happens there, Derek. Well, I want to flash back you know, for a second and remember how he began the the saga with his wife, you know, leaving, uh, you know, her parents. And he said, sir, I I don't know or I, I don't you know, I know I don't come from much, but I will take care of your daughter and I will give her a life as grand as this one. So he went from that to basically in the moment at the height of, you know, essentially achieving that. Right. And he riffs on being an insignificant man in the most, you know, sarcastic way in front of her dad. And this is really the beginning of uh, his, I don't know, you want to call it a Nicarus moment. I'm not sure what you want to call it, but there's basically yeah, I, this, this fall, right? Yeah, I think when you're looking at it, as we've talked about in our, you know, again, we're kind of building on these these concepts and these models that we have done in previous episodes. So, I think this is a really good point now to talk about the organic growth model, right? Um, we've talked a little bit about organic growth has its limits um, and, and you can't just grow at this accelerated rate forever. It doesn't work. And when you do try to grow at that rate, there are negative side effects of trying to take that growth, higher growth rate, right? You start to cheat basically. When you're trying to cheat the growth rate that's built into the universe, things fall apart generally. You can't cheat it for long. Um, and so at this point, this is where if you were looking at a graph, you can just imagine that you got like your two lines on there. You got like your, you know, your high end growth rate and then you got your PT's growth rate. And at this point, you can see like PT's growth rate is now crossing over the high end growth rate. And you're like, uh oh, if he crosses over that line, that's a bad indicator that like he might go up fast, but he's going to probably come right back down. Right. Because that's yeah, what that, that's what that average growth line does for you. Yeah. And it comes out of the revenge swipe. Right. I mean, he basically takes a swipe. He's like. I just can't help myself. Um, I've got to show that I'm more than that. But then he really isn't more than, you know, someone who would take a revenge swipe at that point um, because he really departs from those who he is with. Right. His community. Um, it's not part of his community values to swipe back at somebody up until that point. Everybody's been given a pretty hard time by society, actually. Right. And people are riding them all the time about, you know, being strange and different and all that stuff. And and then he goes and kind of kind of goes counter to that. And I think that's that revenge swipe, man. I mean, it, it just it was totally out of his one of the things I think is probably in a way he was going on such a trajectory in a good direction 
the revenge swipe is totally in the other direction. And I think that's why it doesn't work, right? Um, if you're evil and you do something more evil, you know, it seems to go in your growth towards evil, I suppose, you know. Um, it's like Darth Vader, you know, mm. striking, taking somebody out, whatever. Um, you're, you're like, yep, that fits, you know, but if Obi-Wan were to take off, take out somebody, you know, you know, just as an example. Right. Um, so I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. You, you know, the old quote, the best revenge is living well. Right. It's like he, he forgets, he had remembered his growth and, and had valued his growth and the growth of those around him up until this point. And he really was so focused on the people and was so focused on like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to achieve this vision by doing it together and stuff. And he he'd sold people on this. And then he at, at this moment, he kind of just inexplicably starts to forget all of that. And I mean, it's not totally inexplicable, right, because it just is what happens when you when power and money take over is you start to uh, you start to lose sight of the ground. You're flying and you lose sight of the ground. Essentially, you forget where you came from. You forget how far down it is. Um, and you forget why, why you were doing any of this in the first place, right? You're just so caught up in the flight path that you're in right now. And the fact that you're, you're flying higher and higher and that's, it's the sad thing that happens here. But luckily in this story, it's not a, you know, it's not a catastrophic fall, right? He doesn't hit the ground too hard because luckily there is forgiveness. There is, there is, you know, some of the values that he himself worked to instill, um, and, and that are instilled in his circus family are there to stay and they're not going to move despite the fact that he, you know, makes a mistake here. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, and his wife too. I mean, she's just amazing. I mean, she is the most forgiving person, uh, and the best model that I've ever seen of unconditional love in a movie. Um, you know, I mean, obviously she's able to get hurt, but a man, she has a very, very thick skin for, all the things that he does in the movie. Um, and you know, oh man, that's what it takes, right? If you're, if you're dealing with somebody who has great potential, you really need to pair them up with someone who has a thick skin and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of, um, defensive qualities, I'd say, because that person is really going to take a lot of slings and arrows and defend what, they see at the very core of that very passionate, powerful person um, in order for that person to be able to get themselves in check. And the only way that that person really sees that is that true acceptance of who they are at their very core, right? Um, if 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 that if the person who has the unconditional love can kind of you know put that out there, right, and and be consistent in that, like Charity was, um, that's that's what pulled, you know, PT through as well as, you know, his circus friends, you know, really doing the same things. They would say, you know, not judgmental things. They would say more of, I don't understand why you did that. I don't understand. And so like when he first does it, he says like, well, dude, you can't come out of this room into this party. There's just not enough space. He starts making these silly excuses, which is really out of character for him. And I think there at that point, it's more of a, a, surprise reaction right versus uh some kind of a reaction that um is judgmental it's more of like wow that was weird you know that's not like him right drew yeah that that's what i'm saying is there's like a change that happens there's a crossing over point here where he just gets a little bit too big for his britches and he just 
unfortunately he falls prey to the revenge narrative and he and you can see it in the moment right where he has the decision he can just like he can play it out cool with the with the dad or he can make it a scene and he makes it a scene and that's that's playing to his pride right he's he's instead of playing to his humility which has gotten him there for the most part right into his differentness he plays to his pride and to to his sameness to them and that is where he falters and then he doubles down on that, unfortunately, where he he decides to do this tour with Jenny Lind. Um, again, he wants to make more money. He wants to make his name great. And in doing that, he leaves behind the circus. He leaves Philip Carlyle um, with the circus. Again, we're not going to unfortunately have time to go with the through the Philip Carlyle and the uh, Ann Wheeler uh, romance thing during this episode, but um, he leaves that he leaves everybody behind basically, and he goes on tour with Jenny. So he kind of like moves on to bigger and better things in his mind, right? And including leaving his wife and his daughters behind, which that just doesn't feel good. And of course, as a result, eventually this is all going to fall apart for him. You can't just keep that, you know, you can't just keep that machine running. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, he keeps trying to do that organic growth. He keeps trying to continue to up the ante, but he really gets more and more out on a limb and with less and less support. If you've noticed, he really ends up in what? A carriage? Uh, that is just her and him. And hey, where's everybody else at? Where are all the relationships that he built before? Where's his team? He's just like, uh, I got to go do this now. And I, you know, I think this is kind of like when somebody goes off on a special project or something, maybe, I don't know, an organization or something like that, where they kind of take a divergence and you're like, okay, well, I mean, they're going over to that and I hope I see them soon, you know, that kind of thing. Um, well, there's time so what happened? Divergence though. I don't want to, I don't yeah. want to do that yeah. because there's times when you need to leave the core team so that that team can can develop and, and learn without you because they yeah. eventually are going to have to be able to develop and learn without you you know whether it's you know if it's a family and you're going to eventually die and or if it's a you know a, a team at work and you're eventually going to join a different team or different company or whatever right that team has to learn to adapt without you at some point so there's points where there's like a controlled experiment of you leaving um but it, it, that isn't really what we're seeing here. So I don't I don't want to take that as a metaphor here. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, he he kind of goes off on that and then it uh, it kind of stops when she pretty much, you know, makes some advances and he's not reciprocating. You know, thankfully, he's still loyal to his family. I mean, I know I was cringing in this part of the movie when I watched it for the first time. I was like, man, don't do this. Like, there's so much good stuff right in your life. And uh, be grateful for what you have. I mean, I, I, yeah, I was like feeling a lot of thoughts like that about him because I was frustrated. I was like, why is he, you know, making it just about this one person here, you know, uh, which is a one trick pony. I mean, she sings the same song every place they go again, going back to the optics and the slow moving news of the time, you know, I mean, the only way to do it is to literally play the record over and over and over and over and over. Right. Um, which is, you know, a typical concert tour. I get that. Um, so, but it so wasn't they, very, it wasn't very diversified, you know? No, no. And and what happens at that point is everything starts to burn down, right? He's like, he hits, goes, his growth coefficient is too high and he just starts to grow and grow and grow. And then everything burns down, right? Um, there's the, the circus burns down, the tour burns down essentially because Jenny, you know, breaks off the rest of the tour, um, so he doesn't have any money now. All the money that he was that he was counting on from this tour isn't going to come in. His family is, you know, moved back in with her parents. The exact thing that he was the most worried about this entire time, right, was proving that he could take care of her. And it seems now like he can't. 
So he's kind of finds himself in this dejected state, right, where he's just like he can't do anything right. Now, there is one glimmer of hope here where he does um, when he gets back, he's there just in time to hear about the fire at the circus. And he does get there and he rushes in to save Carlisle. Um, Zach Efron's character. character. He's back in character at that point, isn't he? Yes, exactly. Like once you've taken things away from him, he starts to fill the role again, right? He starts to he starts to remember who he was. And I think that's we don't have too much time to go into that, but that is really really important. Is like sometimes you you as a human, you view things being taken away from you as being a bad thing, but things being taken away from you actually can bring you back to who you were at, at the best of times, right? It it really helps to center your character rather than have you being reliant on all of these these things that you've come to be accustomed to. And I don't know. So I, don't, I just don't think that's a bad thing, right? Here we see it where everything comes toppling down. And now we see Barnum just left with this core character again. And now he's, you know, he needs he needs to be picked back up, though, right? So let's talk about how he gets picked back up. This is kind of a, a little bit of our mentor. And again, another inversion moment in this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's sitting there at the bar. He's basically, I mean, just in the doldrums, you know, um, scraping the bottom of the barrel. Right. And then here comes Tom Thumb walking across the the countertop, uh, really got the drop on him for the first time height wise. And, you know, he's like, I knew I'd see you here something like that. Right. And, um, and that low voice. Right. And, you know, he's like, dude, it's fine. We'll figure it out. You know, and they all really circle up around him. And the next moment that I have that really stuck out to me was him running at what I felt was super speed. And it's not only a literal, but it's a metaphorical. I am doing a reversal. So we talked about a reversal last episode. Um, and I really do feel this is more of a reversal than it is a deflection uh, because he was going a certain direction with this team. He flipped. He went all the way bought all the stock in Jenny Lind and went that direction. Right. So now he's reversing, coming back, picking up the momentum again that he had before uh, from this amazing team in the circus, uh, going back to his family, pulling that back together. He sings the song to his wife on the beach. I love that. You know, that's the moments between them, right? Just perfect. And, you know, gets, gets his stuff back together. And then it comes to find out, right. Uh, Philip's been, you know, squirreling away some of the profits for a while. Uh, but you know, the perfect thing, right. Perfect frame up is, you know, look, I can't do a building and a whole movie. You're probably wondering yourself. I know I was, I was like, this never took place in a building people. What is going on here? This is not a building move. You know, like you don't do circuses in a building. I've never been to a circus that's in a building. I just haven't actually, I, I, I really haven't. Um, I remember going to the circus when I was a kid, you know, Three ring circus. I was I was loving it. I remember sitting at the very top nosebleed section because that's the tickets we had. So whatever. Um, but it was uh, Ringling Brothers. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to that, Drew, but it was Brothers and Barnum and Bailey, right? I mean, that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that's it, right? That's that's the history. Yeah, I went to those as a kid too. I remember that, and I remember the sense of awe. And they, this movie did a pretty good job of recapturing some of that awe. I mean, I remember as a kid having the toy of the man who was shot out of a cannon at one of the years and stuff, right? Like it was, there was, it was so much fun. I remember the, um, I, I don't, I, 
I don't know how to describe it. I just remember like the circus was a big event. I don't think we went every year, but we definitely went a handful of times. And I remember really looking forward to it as a kid. So I do want to take a second to talk about how the circus is a little bit similar to Wonder Tour, right? I don't want to, maybe not in the like the, the kind of flashy and exaggerated ways, even though sometimes those ways, uh, you know, we talked about the exaggeration has a little bit of a value, right? I've heard it called before story truth. So I'm not saying that we're here to exaggerate things and try to convince people to use, you know, use it to try to convince people maybe the way PT does. But I think there's something to be said for story truth, right? It's like when you're regaling somebody with a tale, um, sometimes you take liberties in how you tell the story. Most of us do, right? And and, and the, the audience like knows that, but they're also okay with that because they're just like, I want to yeah. hear a good story. So if grandpa's going to tell me a story about, you know, the guy at the time the guy fought three guys, it may as well be six guys that he fought, right? <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, it's inconsequential. It still tells you that he was brave, right? Exactly. Even though he fought exactly. six or 16 guys this time, uh, you know, that's great. I like that. That's a really good uh, example that you had going on there. Oh, um, it goes back to my favorite, uh, one, of my, one of my very favorite books, Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried, right? And The Things They Carried, I'm not going into it here, but it, it's a story about the the Vietnam War, and, and there's a – there's a like a kind of a forking point in the story where like everything is real and then suddenly it all starts to become narrative and i love that because it, it you know you can't tell it's like this like this crossfade of things becoming like kind of story truth versus real truth but like the point at the end is does it actually matter no because the story truth impacted you right that this the quote-unquote story truth like the way the story was told impacted you in a positive way it, it, it for helped you form an opinion or a character and that's what's important yeah i mean and that's that's a that's a great model to kind of you know look at the circus overall and you just say like there you know you don't know all the backstories and all these different maybe maybe the mundane things about being the world's tallest man whatever he's the tallest man be shocked by it right um, and I think that's uh, excellent vision casting, you know, as well is that, you know, you pick the most prominent pieces of of what's interesting about the future. Right. And that's what you cast as the vision. You don't say and you'll still do your normal job and, da, 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 you know, all those boring things in between. When you cast vision, you have to show people the exciting parts about future. Right. And um that's really what, you know, you know, bringing out those prominent things. That's an art form, right? And that's what we're about to talk about here uh, once we get to that point. But, you know, yeah. uh, you want to talk about the mentors a little bit? No, I, I think we, I think we, this one's not so much about the mentors. I think we talked about it a little bit. I just, I like the inverting of the mentoring, right? Where like at first he's casting the vision. Because I think it'll actually be caught up in the moral, which is all about the vision casting, right? Because I think PT, it starts out by casting the vision to the whole uh, to the whole circus troupe and to his family and everybody else, right? And then they end up casting it back to him mostly at the end, right? They're the ones who actually uphold the vision. They're the ones he leaves and forgets about that. You know, he goes to follow a different vision um, and he gets out a little bit too far out on the tightrope. And then they are the ones who pull him back in. And that's just this, again, this movie, I'm seeing it more as we talk about it. The, the, the fact that this movie is all about the inversion. I mean, it's yeah, a circus movie, right? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think one of the things that you really brought to my mind here is that you have the aggregate vision. And I think if you really cast a strong aggregate vision, you have to be careful to watch out for the spikes in the vision. Spikes in the vision, when you're a very conceptual and abstract person, you can come up with these like amazing singular ideas, right, that come out of the vision. And you're like, oh, that fits, that fits. 
you know, and you may really think like that really fits so much that you're going to follow out on that limb. Right. And that's what he did. He followed Jenny out there on that limb and really it collapsed because nobody else shared that particular, you know, I mean, yeah, people who bought the tickets did, but the core people who he really cast the aggregate vision of the circus with didn't really share that vision of Jenny because she didn't fit. She didn't fit in the overall vision. You know, she was kind of more anomalous and not necessarily in a good way, uh, you know, because the circus is about uh, this referential strength between the members, right? And so they are learning to rely on each other. But who does Jenny rely on? Nobody. She doesn't, when he met her, she wasn't relying on anybody and she wasn't connected to anybody. Uh, and it's because she's so very self-absorbed, at least what we are given to understand from the movie is that her character is very, uh, a self-absorbed character, right? Uh, really an island and what does she do? She draws him out to be on an island as well, right? Uh, in that spike of the vision. And that's why it collapses, right? Well, thankfully, he come, you know, comes collapsing back down. And he did that initial investment of casting this aggregate vision that people bought into. And it's still alive. And it's alive because it's a genuine vision that made people's lives better. And when you cast a vision that other people you know, buy into and that it makes their lives better, it can – it, it becomes your legacy, right? Um, in a way, and it and that and that in that way, it outlives you, which I think is the most, you know, the best vision to absolutely have, you know. Well, a vision's a really key part of a story, right? And at Wonder Tour, we are all about the narrative. So I think we could dive a little bit into what a vision is, because I think you know, just from a straightforward standpoint, a vision is just like having a clear line of sight at the goal, right? It's like it's where you want to go. Um, but the vi that vision can be different depending on your situation. What does vision mean to you? Vision is that, I mean, for me, it's that far off future that um, really people can't see, right? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a far off, like in terms of time, but at least it's far in terms of the number of steps that you need to take or the significant amount of steps that you need to take to get there. Um, but you can have a short-term vision if you want. It's not a problem to have that. Um, you know, in short term being like, let's say three years or something for yourself, you know, um, I've learned in business that it's more on the order of nine to 10 years away from where you're at right now. Uh, and you make pivots to get there. So that's what it means to me. Uh, but it's something that you cast. So you cast it out there. What does it mean to cast it? You put it out there for everybody to see, you put light on it so that you, that people can see the shadows and the definition of that vision, right. And know, where they can plug into that vision at. Um, if you put a, you know, a completely uniform vision out there, it's too boring. Uh, no one's going to want to plug into that like a puzzle piece, right? And, you know, you talked about puzzle pieces earlier, um, you know, with your dad, and I thought that was really great. And I think that, um, you know, if you cast a vision that is, um, you know, it, that it has the ability to be adopted, right? Um, then people can then see themselves in it. And then what the beauty of the beautiful thing is, I almost said beautiful and a beautiful thing is there, Drew, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I don't know what kind of uh, accent I went in there for a second, but, uh, you know, the, the, the beautiful thing is right. Is that people start transmitting the vision right at that point. And that's when you, you, you tell me more about this. You, you know, we were talking about this before, but tell me more about like, uh, you know, you're talking about density or something with vision. Like, what was that all about? Give me a little bit of what you're thinking. 
Yeah. So when you're trying to cast the vision, right, your your vision is like this. It's like a web net almost that goes all that just like goes out and it you need things to connect into the vision. Right. So sorry, I guess your vision isn't the net. Your vision is like is like the end node of the net. And you need to be able to connect all of these different nodes together in order to be able to actually get there. Vision for me is all about flourishing. So I I think that when you define a vision, it needs to look like flourishing, whatever flourishing looks like, right? Maybe for him, for his family, flourishing looked like, you know, living in that big house with a fence and all the kind of thing, right? And and with business for him, flourishing looked like uh, looked like having a stable, you know, th- a, having a stable business that like made his name great or something. I'm not saying those visions are like good visions. I'm just saying those were his visions, right? Um, but he also had a vision, an, an important vision for for the inversion of, you know, lower class to higher class and stuff like that. The inversion of these people that were outcasts to being the inner circle. And that was the vision that was the most important that he cast. Right. That was the, the circus vision and that he was trying to get everybody on board with. And so he's trying to get everybody connected together. And that vision, you know, it, it gets um, your, your vision really has so much potency or so much power and. When you start to tell a really good story, that vision start you start to realize like, well, people are catching on and they're starting to like make nodes organically that are connected to my end vision that I'm talking about here. Or maybe somebody else gives you the vision and your role is to make the nodes in there, right? It's you once you start to internalize it and digest it, you start to connect to the, you know, all these nodes of all the activities that you're doing to that end vision. You're like, oh, this is that vision is is really like the why and and the where where we're going, but what I'm doing is the strategy and the tactics, which is how we get there. And so I'm going to start to plug in ways of how we get there. And so the risk that I see you running here is that as that vision, you know, your vision has a certain power depending on the scope of the vision, right? His scope of his vision is pretty wide, actually, because it can be, there are a lot of people that probably feel down and out that feel like this could be, you know, this could be a big win for them. Um, But it's also an entertainment value proposition because it is like an entertainment show. So it doesn't have that high of a vision necessarily. It's not like, you know, it's not interstellar where we're saving the world or something. It's not a superhero movie where the vision is like, you know, humans surviving for the next, you know, making it past the snap of Thanos fingers and stuff. Right. But it's uh, he, he. you run the risk of becoming too diluted in your vision because if you continue to increase the container size, right? Like originally the container size is like New York and you you know, first it's like New York and just like the lower and middle class maybe. And then it's like the higher class. And he's trying to make this vision bigger and bigger um, as he gets, you know, has this hubris and the vision gets diluted because he doesn't continue to string on more and more nodes on the vision. In fact, he starts to have less and less connections with the nodes as the container that the vision's in gets bigger. So I think of it like a gas diffusing in a larger container, right? It's like, it's just not as potent as it gets further out. And there's much less likelihood that those nodes are going to connect and actually like reap, reap value, you know, moving towards that vision. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have the density, then the structural integrity of the entire vision collapses, you know, and, you know, I've seen that before in my own experience where, you know, you may have an excellent vision, and as you grow it, it does become thin, and a good leader becomes calibrated to the thinness of certain parts of the vision. And what it takes in order to detect those is being honest with yourself. You've got to w- be willing to be honest with yourself. Um, he had a little bit of shock and awe from her. Right. Uh, it started on the stage where he practically cried his eyes out 
you know, listening to her sing, but it really wasn't listening to her sing, right? It was, oh my gosh, I finally got their approval, right? And he really was just like, you know, kind of just in all of that, you know, and she was just the means to get there. And so he's sitting there and he's, you know, and he's basically distracted. And that's when the, you know, the vision is just like, okay, I'm going to follow this spike out. I know I, I know I can do it. And then I can pull everybody with me later. Once I get paid for this, I'll pull everybody with me later. So I don't think he necessarily violated his core, uh, his core values, but he stretched them to a point where think of it like a rubber band and his core values really, it wouldn't go any further. Right. Because what was that moment, right? Where she wanted him to violate his core values. And he said, no, I'm not going to violate my core values and my core relationships. He had stretched them as far as he could. He was out on the road with a complete stranger and he stretched his relationship with his children and his wife, all that. And then boing, right. And it comes right back to the center, uh, you know, and he had to rebuild the, the density. Uh, now the core density was still there, but in order to continue to grow it, right. He had to make some compromises, uh, because he well, ran out of money. <laughs> right. He, you know, exactly. He still had the, he still had the, the power there. He just had to move it to a smaller container. And once he moved it to a smaller container, oh, okay. Now, you know, they can, now that it's in a tent, right. Now that it's, again, it's, it's maybe it's this traveling show, whatever the circus is going to become at this point, right. He puts it in a right size container and now that vision is flourishing again. Now that vision is in it, you know, it's in a great place. Like it's like a plant when you, you know, you have your plant and it's root bound in a, in a pot and you need to put it in a bigger pot or something like that. Right. It's like, it just can't, you know, there's also, you know, you can also have too much, um, too much density. <laughs> you need the right level of density. Cause sometimes you have a vision and you're just containing it in this tiny little pot. And, and that's not what we see here, but like, actually it kind of is right. It, <laughs> there's too much density when he's working for like the mercantile company <laughs> and he's like pitching them on flying yeah. machines. And they're like, you're here to like keep the books, man. <laughs> he tried to spike it, right. He's tried to spike it then. And, and it didn't work because he didn't have, you know, we wasn't, you know, he didn't have the right density of his own, right. For the, for the flying machine. Right. Um, you know, where do we go next with this, Drew? Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing to take away here then after we talked about this, this idea of vision density and, you know, kind of almost like vision viscosity, right? Like, can you feel the vision? Can you, I think that's where you go, right? Is how do you, how do you set a good vision and how do you know when your vision's at the right density level? And I think when you're starting to set a vision, it's a lot of that testing, right? It's a lot of like when his daughter's saying like, you know, you need something alive, right? You need to test the vision and see like, is your vision too small? Cause his vision's too small at that point. Like he's seeing what he wants, you know, he's, he's, he's got these great ideas, but uh, there might be a little bit misplaced. Um, and as it gets more evolved, right, it gets to the point where it's kind of like now it's growing on its own. And then eventually, like, it, it's, a, you know, it's on fire. The vision is, you know, in a good way, not like the, the circus is on fire. But the vision is like burning without him even having to be there necessarily. And they're they're make they're progressing the strategies without him. Once it gets to that point, like, that's where maintenance is required of the vision. So how do you know when it's time to maintain the vision, when your vision is scaling at a, at a or organic level of growth that's good, or when it's maybe scaling too fast or too slow? Well, I can give you one symptom, and then maybe we can move on to the next moral. But I, I think one symptom is just how often are you having to pivot in order to achieve the vision? So if you're pivoting often, 
um, you may be running into resistance. That's a sure, sure sign that, you know, your, your plans are being frustrated. I want to say too, is that when you make mistakes on the way to the vision, and we are going to make mistakes in the way to the vision, I've made plenty of mistakes in the way to the vision. The thing that you, that costs you in all this, you, you may get out. Okay. Well, on money, you may get out. Okay. On relationships, you may get out. Okay. On everything else. But and, and I don't, you know, I don't want to discourage you from making, you know, mistakes that you have to make in order to get there. You got to do that. Right. But time, time is the thing that you are penalized every time for. Um, and I don't want to also I just want to have a reasonable urgency about it. But realize that when you do make mistakes, when he made the mistakes with Jenny Lynn, he he lost all that time uh, in normal organic growth mode you know, versus this accelerated mode. He was trying to use a cheat code, as you say, Drew. I love when you keep saying that cheat code, cheat code. Um, you know, I could quote the economy code right now. But anyway, um the point is is that, you know, he 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 tried to cheat and he lost that time. And I think that is a really critical thing just to keep in mind as you do, you know, look at your vision. Is it healthy? Uh you make the mistake, you're gonna lose a little time there. You're gonna have to move the goalpost out in terms of the calendar. But don't change the vision. The, the vision is the goalpost. Just move it on the calendar and say, yeah, okay, it's going to take me another year to achieve this vision. That doesn't mean that you give up your vision. You got to keep going on your vision, right? That's that's the idea of a vision. Uh, if there's anything that he models well here in this movie the entire time is tenacity. Uh, whenever he is down, he gets right back up almost immediately and he keeps going. And I know that that remember the time is all fast forwarded in this movie, but this takes a long time, you know, to do all this stuff that he did in this movie. And uh, I know that the girls like, again, this is movie magic. The girls are still little at the end of the movie or whatever. Right. Um, but is that really how it happened? Anyway, you think <laughs> for yourself, wonder for yourself on that, because I think that's worth that's worth considering. Right. Um, that time is glossed in this movie. Now, why don't we move on to the next moral? Because I think that there's some pretty good ones here left. Yeah, what do you want to hit on next here? Talk to me. Um, well, I think one thing is that, you know, going. I'm going to build a bridge here from Vision. And I want to say that one of his, one of his real true gifts was magnifying the Vision for each particular person. Um, and he, he did it in a very, you know, I would say creative ways and really just to say, can you see yourself right in this vision? And I think if, I think that's the magic of casting vision really well is that really that, um, if you, if you can get someone to see where they fit, you know, I kind of hearkened to that before when we were talking about vision, but I want to really hit on it here is that, um, you've got to carve out a space for your collaborators, Right. And you got to carve out a space and say, look, this challenges you, right? And we need this, right? We need this bad um, in the vision. And ultimately, we've got to uh, we've got to do, you know, our very best to kind of, you know, fit as many different people in there uh, as we can and and enfranchise everybody, right? So that's that's kind of something I saw with when you know, kind of related to vision in this. Yeah. And, and as you and, and that's like a really good point is as you're growing your vision, you need to enfranchise people. That's the point of the vision. If the vision is good. And again, a good vision in my eyes is about people. Right. It's about what how the people are doing. It's about it's about the people's the place that they're at in their development. 
And it's not about the technology that you're going to use or the things that you're going to have or anything like that. It's really about the the position that the people are in in terms of their personal development and their development as a, as a group, you know, together, right, as whatever kind of an organizational development that they have. And when you want to do that, you have to enfranchise people. The vision is not about uh, it's really not about like pointing out every note along the way and getting people to sign up. You take this note, you take that note. No, that's not it. The vision requires many strategies to be implemented and, and many tactics within those strategies to be able to achieve that vision. And what you want to do is lay that vision out there and then, you know, have people come up with the strategies that we're going to use to achieve it. Have them come up with the tactics and own them because they're going to want to push them so much further when they own them that, you know, that, and they're going to come up with way better ideas than you could than if you're trying to take the vision and go down to this granular level. And different people also have different abilities, right? Some people are better at casting that vision while others are best at executing on the vision, right? Or executing on the on the tactics and the operations that we set up that will help us to achieve our strategies. Yeah, I really like that. And now let's just, uh, let's kind of close it out with this, which is the basically, uh, this is something that you were, that you, you know, you and I were talking about, but character equals destiny. And um, if you want, uh, you know, that destiny to be good, you have to pave it with a road of authenticity, right? Um, we're really talking about, um, you know, having this positive outcome in the end and having people really buy into it. You have to be authentic. And there are a lot of moments in this movie where you wish he was just being authentic. Uh, and, you know, that moment with her father could have been a lot different. Uh, if you think about, go back to it and you think about how he could have handled that differently. Right. Um, he could have just said, you know, some, some very more like reasonable things and just been authentically who he was and be humble and humility comes out in authenticity. Right. And, but he didn't choose that path. So when he's authentic. When he's authentic, he's succeeding, right? That we see a very clear um, you know, correlation with how it's happening. When he's being authentic, he's succeeding and the people around him are succeeding, right? When he is starting to become an imposter, when he gets that imposter syndrome in a bad way, where he's trying to be this upper class, be this, you know, this this person that he's not, that's when things start to fall apart. His relationships all fall apart. The vision starts to fall flat. Yeah, and I, I think it's uh, it's interesting, and I think this is really important when you're when you're talking about leadership. That's about optics, right? Um, optics uh, take a lot of energy to keep up, so you got to be careful with optics. Um, you really want to go through op. I would call them optical bursts, where you know it takes a little bit of energy to project an image. It's more like a flash. It's more like a moment, um, and you need to think about how those can just be retained in people's minds versus keeping up a steady image. Because what's going to happen if you keep a steady image, you're going to have these moments where your image is distorted and image distortions are what people started to see in him as, you know, he kind of went the Jenny Lind route and went out on that vision spike, you know, and took the detour and all this stuff. Um, they started saying, you know what, that's not, you know, that's not him. Right. And what what happens when you get an image distortion? You start to get fearful and you start to get a little angrier, right? Because you're like, I can't hold this together. I can't hold on. And I think that's where we saw the buckling. That's where we kind of saw some of the, you know, just more exclamatory kind of positions that he took versus hopeful and uh, in, inspiring, right? That's just really where he stayed most of the movie was being hopeful and being inspiring to others. 
Uh, and that was when he was being authentic and it, it resonates because authenticity most times, you know what, because it's not a ruse, it doesn't take the extra energy, right. To keep up. Uh, authenticity is literally a lower energy pathway, uh, many times. Cause you're just like, look, this is who I am. Uh, I'm this guy. Uh, I have these characteristics. Yeah. They're flawed sometimes, but it's all good, you know, and I am, you know what I think of Popeye. I am what I am. I love that so much. And, you know, I, I just now put that together that, that like, that's the, you know, that's why Popeye is like that, you know, and that's why he's so strong. Right. Cause he's like, look, I'm not spending any much time on my image. I got these guns, you know, on my arms here, uh, you know, and I'm just like, I am what I am, you know, and he doesn't have to waste any time. And I think that's what, uh, you know, olive oil loves about him. Right. Um, so to give you another example in in parallel, so yeah, being authentic is being authentic is in a lot of ways lower energy, right? Like it's it, it requires discipline, but it's it's definitely lower energy, and so you can expend that energy in different ways, and and that's where you're really being authentic is is like a good reinforcement loop on your character. You said character equals destiny. Um, we'll probably get into that in in some different media that that you know, a, a lot deeper. I mean, I'm sure I could see that being like a centerpiece of an episode, um, the idea of character equals destiny, but it, it, the whole, what it means is that who you are and who you are becoming are, are basically, you know, who, or who you're becoming is your destiny. So the type, you know, whatever the character that you're developing is, that's your destiny. That's it. There's no other destiny for you. It's just the type of person that you're becoming is going to be who you are, right? And it seems like it makes so much sense when you just say it that way, but there's a lot more deeper that we can go into there. Um, but for him, it's his character when he's authentic and when he when he's leaning towards the good aspects of his character. I mean, his destiny is is awesome, right? He's bringing people together. He's he's inverting stereotypes. He's doing such a good thing for the world. And when he starts to teeter away from that and when he starts to develop more like self-serving character, um, and he starts to go towards that character, you can see that his destiny changes, right? It's like the clouds start to come over his destiny and you can see like the thunderstorm starting and you're like, uh oh, this is going to be a problem. He's going after money. He's going after fame. And I think that's just a, a lesson for all of us, right? It's like we see this in so many different movies, you know, the hubris or Icarus or whatever you want to say. But, you know, I can't see it enough ways and enough reminders that. Right. It's all about the people. It's not about you. It's about the relationships. It's about what you can do for others. That's what leadership is. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself for sure. Um, yeah, it's 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 a very, you know, it's a story that that really teaches me to lean into authenticity and to embrace it. And, you know, others appreciate that, too. They appreciate someone who really connects with them just as they are. And I think that's that's what challenges me with as I leave, uh, you know, as we leave this uh, discussion today is just uh, to meet people where they are and to come to them as we are and to stick with that. Right. And to not necessarily try to go so far outside of who we are becoming to become somebody else, because we're we are who we we are, we who we are. Right. And. We want to be the very best uh, person that is. So um, anything else to add, Drew? That's it. That's all we got for today, folks. You can find us, of course, at wondertourpodcast.com. And Derek, what are we bringing next week? Next week, we've got Thor. So we're super excited about that. 
a little bit of, uh, let's say, a theme of brute force, potentially. So we'll see. And what, what kind of use is that as a leader? I don't know. We'll find out. We'll see you next time.